This is the Creasecast. We're here on another issue of the Creasecast. I am your host, Cody Davidson. This is my co-host, as always, Lachlan Irvine. We get to talk about a team that finally got theirs when Saturday they finally killed the streak. They ended the six games of losing in pathetic fashion to finally get a win over Jacob Markstrom and the Calgary Flames. Um, Felt good. Feels good. Uh, Unfortunately, Monday happened. (laughs) <laughs> which hey, is yesterday which i moral need to clarify. victories baby that's yes. what it's all about it's all about finding the uh finding the light at the end of the very very dark tunnel four yes. three they they lose in overtime but they got it to overtime yes, uh, we, like in the dying moments we yeah uh, we can get into the game a bit but like how disappointing was it when they were like okay there's still 38 seconds left on the power play so to start overtime we're gonna send out Edler, Myers, and Beagle. And you're just like, well, we get one point at least. Or sorry, not we, because I'm not a part of the team, but they get one point at least. Yeah, uh, I mean... That was hard to watch. Because like you saw the three skating out, and you're just like... Oh, well, this is... All you right, might guys. as well have just like gone to the dressing pack, room and be like, oh, well, pack it we in. lost. Yeah, yeah pack that it was... in here. We're all... We're good. We we came... <laughs> yeah, we can't... We, you know, when we're out on the road, uh, we really want to take... Uh, we, you know, we want to get at least one point. Uh, you guys were playing at home, you remember, yeah. right? Oh, oh, oh um, right. Oops. Right, I forgot. All right. That's yeah, true. so moral victory <laughs> indeed. But at the same time, you just have to like kind of shake your head because I think that was probably the first time of the season where you were like, like the coaching was suspect for like maybe the first time in like, I don't even know how long of Travis Green's tenure where you're just like, all right, is he serious? How could he... Like why in a four Hoglander out there, like why, why like like I uh, like I understand that they were all coming in on the p pe- that they're coming in having to kill a penalty, mm-hmm. and you know Quinn Hughes being the guy in the box who might be the guy that you would want out there, one of the defensemen you'd want out there in that situation. I get, I get more or less why they went with those with uh with a couple defensemen like Edler and Myers. But why wasn't Hoglander out there? Like, like why wasn't it Beagle with Hoglander and then one of those two defensemen? Because like he's a yeah. puck, he blocks, he's a good puck blocker. He's a good puck blocker. He seems really responsible defensively, and he might have been able to maybe break away and take taken the puck and gotten a scoring a short ended scoring chance versus actually what ended up happening, which is the entire the, the, all three of them just rolling over, just being literally like, just standing here, still and being like, free, well, can't do free sample. Here free samples uh like it was it was it, it, it was such a lackluster it was such a sad way for that game to end after like kind yeah. of the high of oh my god they actually tied it yeah like, it was like a huge like rallying cry like oh shit they tied it late like it, we actually have a game on our hands we're watching something really cool yeah and it was just and like it was, oh let's roll out the three slowest and then people just, on our team and just like hope for the best and it's like in a all three, the three Four, sorry, in a 4v3 situation, it doesn't really matter how many defenders you have there because you're at a, a serious disadvantage anyway. So why wouldn't you put the fastest people available on your team on the ice and just hope you can win the draw and then create something while shorthanded? Because right. it's like a negligible, it's a negligible difference. And parking three pylons to just stand there and wave their sticks is 
going to give you just as much of a chance of losing as putting your three best skaters out there to try and win short yeah. hand. Like, yeah, you could have. Yeah, you could have gone for something more, for something a lot more, um, for something a lot more like creative. Like you could have gone with maybe yeah. like a Horvat Hoglander, and uh, maybe for the defenseman you go with like Nate Schmidt or something out there instead. Nate Schmidt had a poor Nate yeah. Schmidt. He had a rough night. That, um, was, that was hard to watch. That was very hard that to watch. That was very very tough to watch. And it's not and. You know, you could have gone with something a little bit more creative like that, and then you get Hughes stepping out of the box potentially, what was it, 40 seconds later after when overtime started? Like something along something those like lines? That, yeah. Um the you you could have theore- you could have theoretically had a relatively good attack just come right out, come out there with and maybe give yourself a chance to steal to yeah. steal the puck and still have make room to like block and get in the way of blocking guys who are defensively responsible. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I especially against Calgary, which has so many young scoring weapons at their disposal, um, yeah. and they're 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 lines deep uh, in group in in forward in forwards like Gaudreau and Monahan and Kachuk. You're not gonna beat them by just having these the three the three st- sits the sit still crew out yeah. there trying to block and poor Thatcher Demko kind of just having to deal with, okay, well, you're just, all three of you are just kind of blocking my view here. Why don't yeah. you guys just leave and I'll deal with this all on my own? It was hard enough for Demko when it's like Nate Schmidt throws the puck into his skates oh, while he's that... being like, while they're being like under pressure by a four checker. And then it's like another thing when the coach also betrays you and is like, oh yeah, Demko, uh, make a huge save here, bud. It's 4v3 and uh, we're not going to give you any tools at your disposal we're just gonna give you a bunch of elderly people to stand in front of you like put hoglander schmidt and miller out there i know miller and we can get into this a little bit later but miller played like 25 minutes so he was probably like on tired legs as it was but he was actually having a good game he was forechecking really hard he was like battling like pretty consistently so it's like give your team that's battled to get to overtime in the first place give them the extra advantage instead of basically like, can, basically threw the towel in yeah and miller can take faceoffs too so why not like yeah, he can exactly do, he can, if you still want that one different if you still want that one forward to d setup uh which again i don't think you should go they should have gone with mm-hmm. but at least miller can can still take a faceoff too you that's the those are the kinds of things that i think sometimes coaches i think uh, like Travis Green, get a little bit too bogged down in the roles, in the roles aspects of things. For sure, I think some. I think a lot of teams really benefit from having coaches who are willing to tr- who are willing to go out and be like, you know what, this is a weird situation. Let's throw something out here that might not work and see what happens. Right. For sure. It's like the with with so many of these cases, you know, coaches are very much like, you do this. Your job is yeah. this. These two, three. This things. is your role, and you don't you don't go out of that boundary basically. Right. Like, the, in these situations, you might as well throw the rule book out and just like try what you think could work or try something team, crazy. People and people aren't going to necessarily, like some people might criticize you for those kinds of things, but I think people are less likely to criticize your decisions mm-hmm. in that sort of case. If they see that you're kind of going for something a little bit different, if they can see that you're trying something a little bit more, out there and out of the box to see if it works and it just doesn't work for you people are more willing are more forgiving about that kind of stuff whereas last night it was very much a 
like it was very much just an, a calamity of people going like why did you throw those three out there why was yeah, that why? your decision especially after they battle back to they battle back into that game the way it looked like there was going to be a very canuck loss where they yeah, score on themselves yeah, they score on themselves and you're just like well that's one way to lose or to, to kill any the, momentum you had off of your that's win. incredibly on brand an incredibly on brand way to lose not as on brand as uh, the Leafs lost last night, but still. No, that was great. That, that was, was great. We'll great. talk about that at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they come back to tie it and Besser with Besser's shot was beautiful. Like that's a good. Like that was shot. That was a far a farther out shot than I would have. That was more. That was impressive. See. Like that. That shot was impressive purely because the Canucks had basically tried in the last three games to beat uh Markstrom at range and could not do it for the life of them and then on Monday in you know two of their goals they're beating him one off of that crazy tip from Tanner Pearson but then Besser just straight up from like the point just like rifling a shot barring in like yeah. that took it took um three games or so 180 minutes to basically figure out how to do that and that's Man, what a snipe, basically. They had a very clear game plan, which was very Tips. much the Tips yeah, deflections. deflections. That's I, all they were going for, basically, I, all night. I had ne- I, I, it was, and it's weird because sometimes, again, I am still very much in that stage of my career where I'm still kind of developing my media crit- analyst brain compared to like my fan brain, where you just kind of see the plays <laughs> you and turn everything. turn one off and turn the other on. Right. Well, it's kind of like you have to find that perfect that perfect medium, right? Yes. Like you have to be able to find the ability to make sure that you're watching the game critically and looking for the things away from the puck as well as just right. what's happening right directly at that moment. But even still, like I noticed immediately that oh, they're just ta- they're just taking a lot of shots from outside and getting a deflection in front of the net, yeah. which That's all they were hoping for. Which is a which is actually kind of a decent hybrid of the of the things that I've had that I've wanted to see more from the team, which is less shots from far out and yeah. more and more in close sort of that more and yeah. more shots from in the danger zone. That's kind of a good in the middle because they're still yeah. getting their shots from far out, but they've got the guy parked in front to deflect and put them mm-hmm. in closer and make that sudden quick change. And it was catching Markstrom and I think the Flames off guard a lot. Maybe they do. I would say the one criticism is they yeah. went to that well so much that it became a little easier as the game went on to kind of telegraph where that puck was going. And I think maybe, and the Flames yeah. were able to catch on. So maybe they, if they spread out a little bit when they're doing it, I think it'll help them. I think that the, that particular play will come more in handy for them as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just like on that note of like, like for the coaching side of it, like I just wanted to go dip back to this, but playing the safe route, um, playing safe, like you were saying, like you're not going to get like the accolades if you're rolling out the safe lineup that helps you win, especially when you're winning. Like all last season, how many times did we see Louis Erickson rolled out with Horvat and Pearson? It was boring. Nothing ever happened, but it shut things down and helped the first line carry the team to victory. And it worked, you know, enough times that they got into the playoff bubble this year safe can't really cut it when you're getting blown out in like 70% of your games. So like when the T te- when the coach who's like 
usually like usually pretty bold like playing Niels Hoglander as much as he has is pretty bold uh moving P- Patterson to center after like you know never having played it before that's bold and so then when you see this coach who's like historically like pretty bold with his decision making plays like the most safe boring uh method to victory possible in a game that they've like like just barely managed to make competitive you're just like oh come on travis you're you're usually so something something yeah come on like you're poking them just like yeah do something do something fun do something fun throw throw hoglander and uh like Roussel and and like a third forward out there instead of any defenders and just fucking go nuts. Why not? Oh, Positionless hockey. I want to see it. I want to see them just go with like with uh with just five four with or four like a power play where it's just all forwards. Well, like, yeah. The, the, I mean, you have Marley's Hughes. Approach. Like Hughes is approach. Quinn Hughes basically is a forward to some Especially degree. this season with his defensive uh, stats right now. He's oh. basically a forward and one of their best. So Nor- Norris candidate Quinn Hughes, you, up to you. <laughs> no way. Uh, He's going to be a Selkie candidate or something. <laughs> uh, oh, that's true. You know what? That you was my joke so with right. uh, Patrick Johnson, like all last season when the awards were getting written, I'd always at him and be like, Hey man, you got to vote Roman Yossi for a Frank Selkie vote. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh. I- I've already put in my ballot, but uh, thanks. What's what's to most offensive most offensive defenseman? It should like it's selkie backwards. It's just like uh, it's like yeah. I'm not gonna even try to attempt what selkie backwards is, but that's that'd be very funny if it was just like literally like a mirrored version of the same trophy. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be rad. Um, Uh, But yeah, the uh, the Canucks had a little bit of help on their hands in this weekend where they managed to earn three points out of. Uh, a possible four um uh famed famed owner uh frank the tank himself frank the tank that's right frank that's the tank Viexa, according to did, kevin Viexa. did some tweetings he did some rallying cries i think there's the supposed team, to be a, for the boys I think, I think there's supposed to be a jingle here usually in the aquilini tweets section or is that a different show that might be another show. But... That might be a different show. Oh but, well. But we won't. We won't get into the tweets. But it was kind of very funny that like. Oh, you don't. You don't want me to read them all out? <laughs> no, because they're so embarrassing, and I just I hate all of them. Oh, okay. Let me say something. <laughs> okay, maybe we're gonna maybe we're gonna have a disagreement here, and uh, maybe we're gonna have a bit of a disagreement here. But honestly, maybe. like, okay, we had already talked on the last few shows about how it was trash that you know as much as we don't as Jim Benning is not doing the best job. That it's 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 ridiculous that they're just kind of letting him take it out there, yeah, and just like either get rid of him or stick with your guys, sort of thing. Yeah, like yeah, I don't like I don't like a lot of what Aquil- what Aquilini said, but also he kind of had to. Like like okay, if yeah, you're not going to make the move, very very late. It was and just it was very- kind of done in a shitty way because he he blames the media. That was this, the worst And it was part. like, really? You're going to blame me? You're going to wait till now to come out and be like, I'm backing my boy after three weeks of the team sucking ass and me not having his back publicly. I'm going to do it now and then blame like a media group that just saw like 50% of its members and most vocal members who've just lost their jobs. That's who I'm going to blame. It was like, Really? really dude are you kidding me like 
that's why like i can't even i don't even want to get into the tweets because like it's like it's just like complete tonally like inconsistent with like how he's basically played the entire season where like yeah the team gets killed six games in a row and then on the precipice of you know the news coming out that has been leaked obviously from within the organization that the next four games are going to be like the litmus test for whether or not they stick with him or not moving forward it's then all of a sudden he's like mr uh jim's my boy and uh you know it's the media's fault that he gets so such a bad rap but his decisions we back and his direction he's chosen we've got we we back and it's like where was this like at the like at the start of the season you put out a letter saying playoffs are number 1 playoffs are the goal and anything less than that isn't going to be good enough and we we now hold ourselves to a higher standard moving forward yada 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 and then the standard the bar had been lowered so 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 low by like all these like five goal blowouts by other teams in your division that suddenly like the you had to step in and try and lower the bar a bit further so you could make it seem like you weren't being a complete idiot in your off season by approving all these awful decisions or whatever like right bit but weird. yeah i i thought the whole thing was sketchy for sure and it was kind of like eh, i don't love what i'm hearing but i but at the same time when you're if the owner's coming out and being like i have full confidence that kind of already tells me what i need to know which is oh they gone <laughs> like yeah it's like because like, he the did the year, exact same gone. thing with linden too when he's like we we have all the faith and trust in jim and trevor moving forward to this year's draft and then like six months later it was like linden's gone it's wise broad and betting carrying the show and it's like oh yeah one of my okay. Yeah, one of my, uh, actually one of my earliest memories of like really thinking I wanted to do like hockey media stuff was I remember there was this inner, like there was this interview, I think in, this would have been the Tortorella year. This was like late in the Tortorella year. Um, Mike Gillis was on uh, TSN 1040. doing his like Wednesdays with or whatever it was. So, yeah, something like that. Yeah. He was on with like, I think, I forget who he was. I think it was to Harrison Price. He would go on I like every I, week or something. And it was always like really, really interesting radio. Yeah, I think something like that. And I remember uh, I was listening to it like on the, I was listening to it uh, in like the kitchen. My mom was doing something at the time. And I remember, and they were asking him about John Tortorella's future with the team or whatever yeah. or something. And he was like, you know, and, or it was either, yeah. And he was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to reevaluate at the end of the season, how things are going. Like, uh, yeah. like, and this was like April. And I was like, and I was like, oh, uh, I was like, oh, he's gone. And my mom was like, what are you talking about? He just said, they're going to reevaluate. That means he's staying. I'm like, but that's, that's, that's management speak for yeah. they've already decided he's yeah. gone. They already know he's they're not fired. getting anything else out of him. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Gillis himself was gone first. I was gone first. And he um, probably and was, knew it at that think, time too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there, like there were, he gave that answer for a lot of things. And I just remember thinking like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm like, I've listened to enough of these to know that this is, 
This is this yeah. is absolutely management speak for we've already decided this guy is long gone. It's like We're when just, you go to your it's like when you go to your boss and you're like, hey, I need a raise, and they're like, oh, we'll reevaluate in the new year or or when the next budget comes out, and you're like, that's no, that's never gonna happen. So, that, right, sure. so that's a no then. Okay, yeah, so that's a no. Okay, <laughs> cool. Thanks for your time. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's that's yeah and. This is kind of what we're getting here. I mean, there is, I, it, it seems pretty clear that this is going to be, uh, I mean, it's weird that Travis is in there. I don't love that. I don't love the whole idea of him being thrown into this, into the, under the bus here too. Yeah. Because um, again, I think he's doing the, I, I mean, contrary exactly to like last that, year. Uh, overtime where, yeah, he's doing his best he can with the roster he has yeah. i think i don't again i don't think he's any other coaches coming in here and adding like five more adding a five other wins to this total or something no he's getting he, it's basically exactly like last year like he's getting the most out of what he's been given and last year he managed to get like some elite performances out of miller vertanen uh adam Godet, like he's getting Pearson. like yeah. like his line matching and his like his sheltering it worked out in such a way that he basically got like a near playoff caliber team out of honestly like not that great of a roster and now this year you take out some of those elite pieces and not elite in the sense like on a nat like a national hockey league scale but for what they were so tanev's like value to this team uh markstrom's value to this team like granted now we see how he's playing on the flames probably a national hockey league elite vesna caliber goaltender oh oh man but that he, is that's really come back to got, oh man we can get into that but like what what Travis is getting out of his lineup right now, like obviously it it's enough to skate by, but the the pieces that are there or left over, like obviously aren't going to be enough. And all the management decisions, the roster decisions that they went into with in the preseason, like clearly they they hitched their ride to some of the wrong ponies. And yeah. Travis can do everything he can. He can line match. He can shelter all he wants. But at the end of the day, he can't do that for a decor that is as slow as it is or a forward group that is now one year older and outside of one new addition is pretty much the same old crap. Yeah. And I don't mean that for Pedersen or whatever, for the people listening to this, but obviously yeah. I mean that for the bad players on the team. But, <laughs> but anyway, speaking of the elite players of the team. Why don't we pick our infinity gauntlet reward for the two players from, I guess the last two games or whatever was your last um, recorded, which was Thursday. So I guess the Saturday victory and the Monday overtime victory. Um, I'm going to assume your pick isn't Nate Schmidt. So I'll let you go first. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't even remember who I picked last time. Who did I pick last time? Was it Demko? Did I pick Demko last time? I feel like you and I were kind of on the same page where Demko was an honorable mention because he was doing the best he could with the lineup on on his, like, in front of him. But it was, like, Hughes. I think I picked Hughes for how many minutes he was churning out and the fact that he was still producing even though his defensive right. Just... And then I think I think you know what I think I did pick Demko and then left did. Hoglander off the board. 
Yeah. Uh, or or is it or Pearson? It might have been Tanner Pearson. I think I picked I picked it recently as well. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I'm torn between I'm pretty much torn right down brought it right back to Demko again. I mean, yeah. he's so good. He I mean he was he's been he's been great in the last two games. He held them in it in that game yesterday during that onslaught in the second period. Like this, we talk about the second periods being the worst part of the game for the Canucks. Yesterday yeah. was. An absolute, just a huge example of that. Like, if you go, if you guys go to Natural Stat Trick on uh, on your internet browser, <laughs> that, uh, you, I was like, I was trying I to think of like an app on or computers something. now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Uh, I heard it's coming to phones eventually. Huge if true. <laughs> um, basically, they have this very handy thing. If you're somebody, if you're uh, a pleb like me who doesn't understand anything about Corsi. They call them pleb stats, uh, I believe. Which is which is mostly puck possession, uh, I believe, like in shot shots shot tracking, essentially. Yeah. Um it uh you can see the game flow. They have like a game flow chart where basically it shows who had the most like control during this time and like the percentages and everything. During yeah. the first period, the Canucks have it at about middle, like it's it's still kind of hovering near the middle where it's very even, but the Canucks have the advantage. Second period, just craters. Yeah. It just craters into the earth for the entirety of the second period before it finally kind of comes back up in their face, swings back up around their favor uh, through the third period and overtime. I think so, it was I think it was Patrick Johnson who had a tweet about that where he's like, "It's a bad sign when your uh, shock or your control map looks like a toilet." Yeah, because that's yeah. what it looked like. It just like whoop. yeah, ex- <laughs> yep, exactly. It it looks exactly like that. It this is this team is cursed in the second period, and they should absolutely start putting forward uh, a motion to, with the NHL to just cut the game into into two thirty minute halves, because that way it yeah. gets out the middle frame. So that way your curse cut out the worst part, and then you should be all right. E- exactly. Kind of like last year when like the first period was always like a huge disaster for them. Ever. Five or, yeah, or like the, the year before the, that, it was like the third period. You just knew it was over because they were going in with like a tie or a like down one. It was just going to get worse only. Yeah, exactly. Unless Jacob Markstrom pulled something magic out of his hat. Yes, which was uh, a big ask. Which always. is a big, which is a big ask, but one he was very well. He was uh, usually was well. quite willing to do. Um, and Demko, for his part, did quite well. I think he matched up very well against uh, Demko in the last couple games. Uh, the game yesterday, people, I think people were giving him a bit of a hard time. Uh, not be- specifically before the, even before the Schmidt goal, people were kind of like, I think there was a little bit of unfair criticism heading Demko's way, even though there wasn't much he could do on any of those, on any of those shots. And again, the Flames cooked the Canucks in possession during those, that, that second period and parts of the third this is he. I mean, he faced thir- he faced twenty seven shots. It's it his the the save percentage won't show it, but he looked quite good, and he came up with a very clutch save on Johnny Gaudreau late in the third period yesterday that really held them in it and made the best yeah. goal possible. And what about you, Cody? Uh, my choice would be for Barack Bresser. Great pick. yeah, he was like unreal. He was, like, legit, like, on the offensive. He was forechecking like crazy. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of stories probably, like, when when COVID is over and, like, the athletic guys like Harmon and, and Drance and, like, 
Bulis, like all those guys like are able to like actually go back in the locker room and get like one-on-one time with these guys. I think there's going to be a lot that comes out about Besser's season he's having right now, because he is like, he's second in the league in goals scored. And it isn't just like, Oh, he's getting favorable power play time. Like at five V five, like he is like a monster. He's basically everything that JT Miller was last year for that top line. But now it's him where he is just carrying in terms of possession, uh, passing setup goals, like minutes, like the guy is like, having an unreal season and last night he was just like all over the ice and all over the puck and was like literally the difference maker and at least earning a single point for that team like without that shot from the point they are coming away from a four game series or three of four with two points out of a possible six at least three sounds a bit better three of six 50 percent but two out of six, that's when I don't know if I don't know if Frankie's putting out uh, any more tweets saying he's backing his boy if they're only getting one game out of four. Yeah. Uh, Be- yeah, Besser looked great. He was unreal. Besser looked great. And yeah, you're saying he's kind of looking like the JT like he's looking a little bit like JT Miller on that line, which is good which is huge for the Canucks because yes. I mean, you're coming we've already talked I mean Miller's had a bit of a weird year for sure, but down the line, uh, especially uh, when it comes to next year, when you start looking into next year, uh, there's already been the talk of, well, you're in this cap trouble right now. Yeah. Uh, you need to maybe move some money out. Do you start looking at, tr- do you need, you're going to probably need to give some assets up to get rid of players that you uh, get rid of contracts off your books. Yeah. And again, I really like JT Miller and I think he's better than this season has been for sure. And I think he is definitely closer to the player he was last year. But theoretically, you you can now look at him and you could now look at the idea down the line if this keeps going the way it does for Brock and going and say, "Well, we've got we we've got this guy kind of carrying the play in our for our first line now. What if we move Miller later down not this year obviously next year or even maybe like into the trade deadline next year what if we move what if we move him with one of our bad contracts to clear out a bunch of cap room so we can make something happen so we can make something happen with our younger guy we can uh save some money on our younger guys or sign ufas well it's not that's that's obviously a bit of a nuclear option thing and that's thinking a lot mm -hmm. farther down the road than we need to be right now but that is something to keep an eye on. That idea of can the player, can your younger guys, the guys who you've already made your core and I believe to be the guys who are going to lead you to a Stanley Cup at some point, are they able to make some of your other older uh, older veterans more expendable down the line and maybe you take risks on moves that you might have not been able to in the past just because you couldn't afford you couldn't afford to get rid of them or to take right. to let them go. Yeah, because that's always that's always been a problem with this management group is like when they have an asset at its prime, they don't jump on the option of trading them when they probably should be in that window of trading. Um, I that think, feels like I an think, interesting. That feels I think like Patterson you know, has put out a. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say there. I feel like someone. I feel like recently a name has come up in that in that department. Yes, we can we can uh, <laughs> we'll get into him a bit. Yeah, a later, but. When it comes to like like knowing where they are at their window and when they should move on from someone before it's too late, this team has just f- 
fallen on their face time and time again for seven straight years. And like, you could argue like, Oh, they moved on Burroughs too late, but they eventually moved on him and they got something that's kind of turned into barely anything like, okay, great. They, they, now they moved him out to San Jose at like the perfect time. They got Goldobin who was like basically like a, a guy for a little it bit. Didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work, amount to anything, but it was like, but it was a, it was they a good recognized when they could move something out. Exactly. It was an right. Effort. And even, and even Jonathan Dolan, I think was a very good, effort when they got alex burroughs like i liked that he, flyer and it just uh, and they gave up on him too if they just he they gave up on him he with goldobin they waited long enough like they gave him the time and it just didn't yeah. work they gave him all and they gave up and they gave up no they gave way no too early they, they gave like, away too early i don't even know what happened what the deal is with uh linus carlson who they got back in that deal he's definitely still yeah. in their I doubt system i don't use much of anything but um um when it comes to miller you look at this team and you're like okay if like according to jeff patterson they have to win something like six like they have to have a winning percentage of like six six sixty seven or something like that for the rest of the year in order to maybe crack 62 points and be a play playoff contender assuming 62 points is like the bare minimum for the fourth place team so that's a big ask for a team that just now broke a six game losing streak and hasn't strung together any semblance of like victories outside of like crushing Ottawa. Ottawa. So if you're the Canucks, the deadline's coming up soon and you're like, okay, even with Miller in this lineup, uh, I don't think we're making that. I don't think we're making the playoffs this year. Uh, Do we, trade him because he doesn't have a trade a no trade clause he's like an incredibly like good asset that you could flip at the deadline and just like completely clean up if a team wants to take him on that's it it would be tough it would be a tough sell for this market that would basically grill you over the coals for the fact that you gave up a first and like a bunch of assets that don't really matter anyway in the grand scheme of things it was basically just like a parlance for tampa bay to get blake coleman and then you know win a cup it would be a bad look optically but in hindsight it would be well at least they moved on while they still could rather than hold on to him and say like he regresses further next year when they haven't made the playoffs right like you're taking a huge risk that you're basically gambling on him having a bounce back to a year where by all accounts he was playing way above expectation and was due for a regression to a season like right now. And I don't know if I trust this management group in its current iteration to make that kind of judgment call on a player because they've historically failed at being able to identify those kinds of assets. One of whom we can get into very shortly. I, I will say on JT Miller with JT Miller, He's got he's he is on an extremely friendly deal. He's five mm-hmm. five and five point two five million. This is he's got two more years after this. I will say that like yeah, I say you could maybe make him expendable as a cap dump with like a with like a, a Myers or a, or an Erickson if you can swing it. But if you're giving him up now, like at the deadline sort of thing, I want something back. You yeah. want you better be getting something like something good back 
you can't you can't trade him. You can't be trading him. I don't think you can trade him at the deadline this year as a cap dump like that with nothing and get nothing like and get nothing serious in return. Yeah, you got you have to be getting like a premier top six young winger in return, preferably on the left side, or you're like you basically just call the year a wash and you you don't give a shit who you put in your top six and you basically wait until Vasily Pod Colson comes in and maybe he gets in a game or two at the very end of the season and you 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 roll the dice basically. Okay. But otherwise, call the, sa- call the Sabers up. Be like, yo, give us Taylor Hall. Oh man, that might actually be that'd be interesting. Actually, that'd be kind of an interesting thing. I, well, they're that... like a bottom feeder, so they're probably in the same boat of like, well. They yeah. actually did that that hall that that hall contract I'll say for the Sabres was a smart call. Like that was a good idea to just sure. be like one year, one year and a year that could be a throwaway. Uh if, if it works, we make the playoffs. If it doesn't, we can get some prime assets for him. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Um I will say though, in the Canucks management's defense a little bit, lots of teams are like that where they just refuse to give up on these guys that they've had for a long time and don't yeah. sell right away. Like that's a that's an NHL problem. I was gonna say like it's basically like there's Tampa Bay who has shown a complete willingness to jump or to say goodbye to guys who still have like in tons of like current value. If it means getting something that will have like a bit of a longer term value for them, like drew in for Sergachev, you know, all their deals with uh, the Rangers who I would also say have shown a complete willingness to to bail on guys when they think they can get something that rewards them later down the road. Uh, most other teams, eh, yeah. not so much. So it's yeah. kind of, it's basically like it's the, it's the all too often mentioned uh, hockey deal where everyone's basically just trying to trade and swap around the exact same kind of asset and hope they work out at their new destination for both teams. It's too, yeah. it's way too friendly. I think, well, I do think, well, I do think there is an aspect. Well, actually, I mean, I would say too many teams try to like just fleece each other. Like, I think there is kind of an issue of teams try so hard to fleece each other sometimes that they end up just with these loser deal. They end up just making these completely loser deals that no one, that makes no one want to trade and never want to make any sort of interesting moves. Uh, And I, and I remember like being in San Jose, especially was a real eye opener of like, you know, that team, like they stick by their guys forever. (laughs) Like, like they're very much set in the, oh, this is our group. We are going to run them into the ground for 20 years. They will be here the entire time. Uh, I mean, if they didn't, if they had the cap room, Joe Pavelski would still be a shark right now. And then I look at, you know, I'm not a big sports fan outside of hockey, but I, Found, watching the Toronto Raptors in particular, like getting into the NBA when they won that that championship a couple years ago, I got really into that group. And that yeah. whole thing of they trade DeMar DeRozan, who was a guy, one of the few guys who had ever signed like a super, like a proper long-term deal with the Raptors as a star player and said, oh, I want to stay in Toronto. They trade him for one year of Kawhi Leonard. Because yeah. they believed it would win them They're a championship. Like, it was and the all-in move that of all-in moves that worked immediately. Yeah, it was yeah. and and as a guy who watches only hockey, I was like, "This is the wildest thing I've ever seen." Like, I can't imagine seeing an NHL team do something that yeah. gutsy. And 
it, it worked for them. It it totally paid off for them. And now it doesn't always. It lots of teams and the NBA is full of teams that do those kinds of moves and it completely backfires on them. But I I really respect that level of oh, we're willing to go for try something completely crazy. Two teams willing to just go and do something completely nuts cuz they think it would it they think it could pay off either in the long term or the short term depending on who your partners are. Uh, your trade partners are. I love that, and I wish teams would in the NHL would get more creative about the way they get those kinds of deals done. You would hope so, but yeah. it never seems to work that way. Especially because one name is on the market right now. Yes, yeah, so why don't we uh, get into that one name? Or, well, like, there's more, but we can get... There's the more. One. The big one is Jake Vertanen. Yes. Very so, interestingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very interestingly, I think it was Darren Drager today who said uh, that Vertanen is, uh, lots of teams are looking at Vertanen. The big thing that a lot of teams are, oh yeah, you have the tweet right here, nice, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Canucks want a young forward in return, which makes sense. The big thing though is teams are paying close attention to his time on ice. And uh, if we go and look, yeah. look at his time on ice in the last game, he played a, a Canuck low 652. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh boy, you couldn't. Travis Green is a lot of things. He is not a great salesman. No, but like, it is. It shouldn't be his job to sell an asset that, like, rightly, like the team should have never been hitching their wagon to. Sure, like, you. Sure, I get that. I, yeah, I think we. Ta- I've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast in particular. That yeah, the team basically said or saw what like the hoops that Travis Green had to go through to eke out a near 20 goal performance out of Vertanen which was and the big thing that people forget he was in a contract year where he had arbitration rights so big surprise he puts up one of his best offensive seasons of all time in a contract year when he's looking at a raise um it took Green like with like the coaching performance of the, a lifetime to get what he got out of him. And sure enough, we are 17 games into this current season and he's complete garbage when he's in the lineup. Doesn't hit. I'm sick of hearing people say, Oh, look at that Jake hit. Usually it's an accidental hit or he hits the ref. He, he dummied the ref the other night. <laughs> and I think that was like the biggest hit he's laid in freaking two seasons. Yeah, there that and then there was that first goal of the game, which I think you clipped, where he just was kind just, of standing there, just standing and there. had his back turned to the play when the puck was actually in the yeah. net. By the time the puck was in the net, he was still like completely facing another direction, which is yeah. so so bad. And then He's the Toronto been... game, he straight up carries the puck through the crease in like this baffling move that no like pro hockey player should be doing. And it results in that first goal in the span of 12 seconds that undid the entire good game. I'm using uh, uh, air quotes here. Describe the good game they were having against Toronto that just wasn't working right. And then it was undone by basically Vertan and throwing it away with a dumb move. And then Monday in a game where the Canucks are finally actually putting together a really good game. Things are going well for them. And then on that one goal, he has the option to chase the puck, play the body, and then try and clear clear it out of the defensive zone. Instead, he ignores the puck. He ignores the body. He 
he charges to like the wall hoping it's just going to hop by an NHL def- or forward who's forechecking and sure enough the play continues and it's a goal against because Jake basically opted to not throw a hit and basically just stand there and hope that things kind of solve themselves and other teams are noticing this stuff like every other team is noticing he only has six minutes of ice time and how he's doing nothing with that six minutes of ice time every other team is seeing him get outplayed by justin bailey on a two-way contract they're seeing him get outplayed by zach McEwen on a two-way contract like other nhl teams are smart enough to see like wow i cannot believe this second year of this kid's contract is 3.4 million dollars of salary owed that's a lot of money for a guy who is a complete non-factor defensively and in a season where the coach isn't sheltering him or babying him is producing nothing like if that's an albatross of a contract even at the only two dollar value that it is like it is spectacularly bad when you have a contract that like in the grand picture of NHL deals is like peanuts when it's two years and like a $2.5 million AAV Uh, when that's an albatross because of the player you've signed to it. Like you just have to shake your head and go, what the hell were these guys thinking was going to happen? Yeah. It's It's so bad. And it's especially bad when you factor in the fact that they very easily could have not qualified him at the in free agency they could have very easily not qualified him gone and got some of their other some other contracts done forget even the guy the returning guys like just any other players they wanted on the market possibly Mm -hmm. and then come back because what were you did you actually think you were gonna lose him to another team like yeah and if you did and if you were like and if you did like (laughs) and if you did they were probably gonna pay him way more than you would have anyway so Mm -hmm. who cares you probably got an upgrade with the other guys you picked up it, you very easily could have gone that route and probably still, and if you were still set on really hell-bent on keeping Jake for Tannen, you probably still would have. It doesn't make any sense that you, you did not need to qualify him. I get no. that he's your fifth overall guy from 2014 <laughs> but get over it, now. Right? Oh my God. People walk on years. off from their first round picks, look at Tampa and they've won a cup because they've walked off on several first round picks and you know what it's okay to do that you don't need to hit your wagon to these guys who aren't going to provide anything and it's like i mean just coming down to the whole like the communication thing and like what they're what the team is trying to go for you had uh benning come out and say his infamous line as we ran out of time uh they they wanted to prioritize defense so if the priority was defense why would you sign this marginal forward uh, to a multi-year, multi-million dollar deal, not go after any kind of like defensive help, and then also sign Jace Howerluck, another marginal bottom six forward, to like it's like not a big deal, eight hundred thousand or whatever. But why are you allocating a bunch of cap to guys who are basically interchangeable in the grand scheme of things? If you're prioritizing defense, it's. It's just like, it makes no sense. I'm all for finding bargain forwards. I'm all for the bargain, for going into the bargain bin, finding as many bargain forwards as you can grab. Right. But Jake Vertanen's not that. Two and a half, no. that, two and a half million dollars is not a bargain. It's not a bargain. That's a, that's Ooh. a full, that's paying more than full, that's paying over full price. That's yes. paying way more than you should. It doesn't make any, there's no reason 
there was no reason for them to 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 make that to make that signing, and it's looking worse and worse now because he's clearly not prepared for it now performing and what else is new (laughs) now if you want to get out of it now if you want to get out of that contract you're gonna have to play him you're gonna have to make him look good you have to sell you're gonna have if you want to sell your asset you're good which you you have to make it look make them look like a worthy pickup and you've got to increase his value somehow even though he's not playing well at the very least like they're saying they're looking at the time of time on ice at the very least they can get that they can get him playing minutes but making that's all good is all on him yeah you have to find way through we talked we talked already about getting creative you know what like throw him on the pk for a bunch of time give him a bunch of time on the penalty kill he might the illusion or give teams the illusion that he's helping on the penalty kill like who cares and maybe he actually does something and that actually sells him makes him look like maybe act like you never know you could throw him into a situation i'm not saying it will happen but i'm saying there's (laughs) after after we just described his defensive blunder yeah but exactly i'm but i'm saying like if maybe if you throw him into those really pressured situations of throwing him like on the pk you never know you might find a way to magically turn him into something that other teams look at and would go hey this guy looks like he's doing something let's yeah. let's uh pay let's pay more than we should to get him this is the like i mean there's so many teams that are do ma- pull master classes of this where they just where they will absolutely like give a player that a player they need to move they need to move on from for whatever reason they will give them the sweetheart matchups on the ice as yeah. much time as they want completely just boost their point totals like nobody's business and then sell them at a huge profit and then the other team goes wait this guy's not as good what's going on they're like some teams are just absolutely crazy good at doing that at pulling that kind of a i guess stunt off (laughs) but it but that but that and that's what the canucks kind of need to do here if they want to move jake for tannin the only thing they're going to be able to do to really up to really get what to get what they want out of this and possibly more or start any sort of like bidding war over him yeah is you have to make it look you have to make your asset look shiny and new you, you have gotta to shine him up better. a bit it's just like in reality if justin bailey or tyler mott weren't injured i don't even think he's getting in your lineup to be shined up in the first place i think this would be I think I saw a Twitter comment saying at the very least his contract is very good on buyouts. And it's like, man, if you've looking if at that in a two year contract guy, two months ago, three months ago, whatever it is, and you're the one upside is his buyout is okay. You're just like shaking your head like, oh my God, how do you how how is this team here? Yeah. It's un freaking believable yeah it it sucks because you also can't you you, they're also in the in the hard situation where again because they only have two really legit scoring lines right now yeah you can't the only way you can put vertanen really in a spot to properly i guess succeed or like look look or bring up his stock a little bit is to take somebody else who's doing well to one of your good scores out like most likely uh, Tanner Pearson or like a Hoglander or something <laughs> and throw them on the third line 
Uh, so you can so you can put Vertanen with Horvat with with uh, with a Horvat or Pedersen and Besser again. Uh, yeah. to, and put Miller on the second with Horvat with with uh, Horvat and Huglander or something. That would be just horrendous. Brutal. It'd be yeah. brutal. But that's kind of what you're. Lo- that's kind of the situation you're looking yeah. at right now because you don't have many other options if you want to make him look better unless you want to yeah. <laughs> maybe he's your sixth unless defenseman you maybe you throw him on the blue line oh god here's your that, new that would be helpful Brent. if he what if he hit, turned into he like what if he turned into amazing defenseman that'd be I, so funny i would be I, downright shocked norris trophy candidate if, norris, if that ever happened norris trophy candidate jake for is the next brent burns <laughs> god yeah right guy needs Very that hockey good. iq to be a defenseman he doesn't have any <laughs> oh, um well oh, i think you god. and i are like done beating the Vertanen horse so why don't we get into sorry jakey i'm not sorry play better i i mean yeah. i in, like, in our notes in our notes for the episode i did put um good on jake for stealing aquilini's money that's really rad because at the oh end of the day God. that is good i the more the more money that aquilini has to waste because his management team that he's entrusted for seven years are a bunch of idiots that don't know what they're doing that's really cool, and the more that happens, the the better. It just sucks that the on ice product doesn't reflect uh, said numbers. But we're sure. tired of All talking right. about Britannon, <laughs> so we can get into one of our few um, uh, Twitter questions that segues into one of the major story points that came out from today. Oh, oh my god! Uh, so the Canucks got a day off from being the bad news story of the day. They really did. Yes, they this got team, saved. This team. Uh, basically told the entire league uh hold hold our beers fellas and ladies actually no not ladies because this organization doesn't strike me as the type that appreciates women in their lives um question from air dr funk on a scale of one to ten or sorry one to johnny cash's shaman coyote how much (laughs) do the arizona coyotes organizations suck give me Uh, some inner peace or i'll mop the floor with you Great. It's a great so, episode. The Homer episode reads the Guatemalan insanity peppers is a fantastic yeah, so episode of the Simpsons. If you don't get the reference, yeah, if you don't get the good. reference, like check it out. Cause it's, it's so funny. And Johnny cash as the coyote is just like such a weird cameo and it's wonderful. Um, but yes, for those that don't know or aren't in the know, um, Katie Strang put out a phenomenal expose on the Arizona Coyotes organization that just pointed out all of their shady financial dealings, their pending lawsuits that they have with uh, multiple businesses that they have contracts with uh, internal investigations for allegations of sexual harassment. um, Just the general shadiness of the organizational structure, uh, starting with the new ownership, Alex Marullo and his, um, son alex marullo jr and their new gm dark uh not doug armstrong but bill armstrong bill armstrong um it's a wonderful piece on the athletic it's very well done if you're in the i don't know if the athletic is worth it like the it's the it's these journalism pieces like true pieces of journalism that make it worth every penny you've ever spent because it is thorough it is wonderful and well-researched well-researched uh articled uh resourced like she i think she interviewed like katie's i don't even know how many people she interviewed like people in 
the management group, it's all anonymous. So like there's no, no risk of like people getting exposed or anything like that. And it's basically like Bill Armstrong straight up, like in his one interview piece with Katie Strang telling her like, how would you feel if someone exposed you? Like basically threatening her and harassing her. It's, yeah, I can pull up some quotes here too. I can I can throw in a couple things if we want. Absolutely uh, unbelievable how bad it is. And before the day was like before the morning was even done, like this is before eleven thirty, the Phoenix Coyote or sorry, the Arizona Coyotes come out with their own rebuttal to Katie Strang's oof. article and expose and basically say we're going to sue you and the athletic for this targeted harassment and un like this biased journalism and hate speech you're going after our owner Alex Marullo who's it's like a Donald Trump piece where it then says Alex Marullo is 40 years yeah. of business experience and he's a wonderful leader in our community like it is I complete sw- garbage I swear to god when I read it I'm like this yeah. reads like it was written by the previous White House press secretary. It read Haley like McEnany. number 45 or something. Yeah, absolutely. his friend, his dear friend, Alex Marullo and his 100%. son, Alex Marullo Jr. 100%. It's so it, embarrassing. It is so much a, it is so much a, a puff piece, a puff, yeah, like it is... statement about how the, um about how great the owner is and everything yeah. and about how wonderful like he, he is at his businesses. He definitely asked his son to write it. And yeah. And, and, and it all... And it also really like I know we get we gave John Chaka a hard time with everything that happened when he left, but and rightly so. Ooh, he kind of actually comes out looking like he does come out with a little bit of a not a I'm not gonna say a hero's arc or anything, but he does come out a little bit more a little bit of vindication, if you will. Here, I, like he I'll, looks I'll a little bit less. He looks a little bit less uh, suspect think, here. So Sus. yeah, I'll 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 push back a little bit on that just because. Like for people that don't know, Cheka basically was a part of the whole draft tampering where they were examining players well before the draft using techniques that were that stuff still by very the bad. And then on the precipice of entering the playoff bubble, John Cheka basically w- did a bunch of shady activities to get himself out of his existing contract with the Arizona Coyotes so he could take a better position within the league for another competing team, which he still which can't is do. You can't do but, that. You kind of have to break rem- your teeth. But and at then, the same time, the coyotes put out a press release at that same time that reads that now, once you read this one yes. seems very much like, Oh, this is just their thing where now where they're yes. extremely, this is how they deal with business, deal with people I- and companies. It being extremely, extremely aggressive and overly yes. and and purpose and purposely mean and vindictive about, and like, like threatening yeah. and harassing and so like you get it where you're like okay maybe maybe Chega had a few checks bounce he saw what the owner was like and he was like fuck this i can't i can't wait for my contract to be over with this guy i need to actively get away out of this i'll take my one year suspension or whatever it is so long as i get away from this toxic work environment i don't know we don't know we just have this brilliant athletic article that basically alludes to an organization that participated in active misogyny um abuse harassment like just all the worst things you don't want to hear about uh, uh, NHL franchise or any franchise or company in the world. And it's on 
it's basically from the top down and that's horrible and like we said this donald trumpian response they had where they threatened straying for harassment and the athletic for even publishing it it is literally just playing into the piece itself that basically points out how the phoenix or the arizona coyotes i gotta stop saying that the coyotes mo and template from the owners to the gm uh bill armstrong is to strong arm people into accepting the deal they want and harassing them until they relent or accept things on their terms right. um which is a very uh Trump which is thing which is, is very I think that's something yeah and like lots of like you know a lot of those big companies will do that where they just yes. take advantage of you in that yeah. regard and they make you feel like the bad person yes. when in actuality you when actually wrong. they are yeah right they're being shady they're deliberately being shady to get out of paying bills and yeah. then in their like the piece they're like glowing about how they managed to to cheap out on napkins or something like that something like that yeah it's so embarrassing and such a bad look for this organization that for the longest time everyone has critiqued how they were helped out by the league itself to keep their finances afloat and then they finally get this ownership group where you're like maybe there's hope and it turns out it's an even bigger disaster than the previous iterations like yeah it's it's ugly and I feel bad for Katie Strang because she doesn't deserve this. She literally has in her piece in the first three paragraphs where she says, um, we reached out to the Coyotes and to the ownership group for comments on all of these topics. And they denied every request to participate in this piece. And then to come out the day the articles released and say, this was targeted harassment and they weren't included in any of the discussions it's like okay we all know be more tone deaf or stupid about handling this entire thing i'm yeah i'm totally gonna believe you team that decided to draft a race a racist (laughs) uh a racist bully and then claimed you didn't know yes and claimed you didn't know even though you totally did that was Um, one of my takeaways from the piece itself was that There's all these little hints throughout the entire piece that there's obviously the new GM, uh, Bill Armstrong, who has like an issues with the previous regime and the circle of trust. As I use my air quotes again, I'm oh. going to get carpal tunnel using them this episode. But <laughs> Bill Armstrong has his thir- circle of trust apparently, and he doesn't trust any of them, so he fires every single one of them. Yeah, like and, Steve Sullivan was the interim GM when Shaka left, yeah. and now he left earlier he this left week. Earlier as well. And that was another another thing of the piece was that most people don't leave under good circumstances. They either get fired or their contract expires and there's no option to renew it. But usually all of their deals end up being voided unceremoniously by the owners and said employee. So it's always okay. just a bad look, which is, you know... Yeah you know, A-OK sign, just like brilliant. Good job. Um, but the thing that stood out for me was that regarding this Mitchell Miller thing and how somehow this team that had its, its scouting staff label him as a do not draft decided with the new owner or the new GM oh. or whoever it was, they were going to draft him anyway. All right. I believe you have the quote on you right now. So uh, why don't you go ahead and read it? 
Sounds good. Um, so, this, yeah, this is from the article. I'm not going to read the whole article because, yeah. obviously, it's behind a paywall, but you should no go. You should absolutely go check it out. Yes, go um, The blame for the Miller debacle would shift daily between the team offices, with senior leadership determined to understand how Miller could have been drafted and others looking to make sure they didn't receive the blame. In Armstrong was prohibited from participating in the draft as part of the terms of his agreement once he left St. Louis. This is uh, Bill Armstrong, the new GM. He mm-hmm. said he spent the time in a different part of the arena in the coach's room during the draft. Eventually, a mental performance consultant came under scrutiny, a particular develop- a peculiar development, considering she had never been considered a key decision maker. That mental performance consultant was not included in any scout meeting- scouting meetings ju- once the front office personnel changed over. And before that, in a June pre-draft meeting, she shared concerns about Miller's honesty and transparency about that incident and recommended against drafting him, according to several people in that meeting. But some individuals zeroed in on her regardless. Her time in the crosshairs eventually ended. On June, on January 27, the team touted the mental perform- performance consultant skills and expertise as integral to the organization, but some un- employees were unsettled by how she was treated. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, some big fat yikes there. Um, it's, I mean, you couple that with the very fact that they're, they're under investigation by like a big giant law firm for allegations of sexual harassment. And obviously there's a bit of a pattern here where women maybe aren't being treated correctly or fairly by, uh, the ownership group or the management staff. And you look at the way that their statement is worded about how, you know, Katie Strang is like some hacker monster trying to undermine the existence of this owner, this billionaire owner and his organization. Um, This woman is a mental health consultant, had no prior bearing on the draft who, as, as far as we are concerned, advised against the drafting of Miller and everyone in this organization and ownership group chooses to jump on and treat her like shit. Like she's the reason why they blew their fourth round pick, their their first pick of the draft. It's shady. And it's yeah. it's incredibly scummy from an organization who up until that point in the article is really not doing themselves any favors or making a case that there, there could be a benefit of the doubt. But you throw this in there and it's like, oh, it's some girl that barely had a say in our draft that we fucked up royally and got embarrassed on on the national stage let's blame her it's yeah like fuck you guys yeah and then and then there's the whole bill armstrong basically complaining to katie strang not about this article this was a pastime uh in relation to a basically uh when uh this is another quote i'll just very quickly read when after armstrong took over as gm hockey operations employees were warned that unauthorized distribution of any club information will not be permitted and is grounds for disciplinary action up to immediate termination and then one executive said i don't know and apparently they had to all sign an acknowledgement form consenting to that and one other nhl executive was saying i don't think i've ever heard of a situation like that happening on any other team yeah um and then in november agitated that organizational information had been obtained by the athletic armstrong contacted this reporter katie strang Mm -hmm. offering a theory that his daily schedule and other files had been stolen from his (laughs) computer he warned that the person who he 
Smyth was responsible would be going to jail after delivering a lecture on journalism ethics. Oh, I love this. Armstrong asked this reporter what she thought would happen if he were to tell general managers around the league how she did her job. Yeah, it's he such mansplained, smug shit. Like, he mansplained her job to her yeah. as a first-time GM. Yeah. Also, one of the things that really stuck out to me about the whole these guys really are just leveling to massage the truth thing is in the in the um press release they released today one of the things they mentioned about armstrong uh if i can find it oh was, are you talking about the like what what do you like about your new job or whatever and he's like i love the owner he's the most oh, fascinating person oh, i've ever yeah, met yeah the, the president that, that, was, was, that like, was funny but like i was actually elite bootlicking yes there was that that was great but also um the there was the, the the sentence in here where it's uh in the actual press release where he says where they say uh mr marullo's made an economic turn down oh yeah turn down a hockey operation of the department of the coyotes from hiring a stanley cup winning general manager and bill armstrong to a full staff of top tier hockey personnel which is incorrect that implies a stanley cup winning general manager implies that he had been i would argue that he was in charge of the st louis blues yeah. when they won the cup which is not true nope. that's a very clear one of those we're trying to massage the truth yeah. to make us seem better than we are because yeah. you can't say that he's not a cup winning general manager if you want to say he's a, a gm a gm in bill armstrong who has a experience with an a stanley cup an executive with, with stanley yeah. cup uh with a stanley cup on his resume that's true but you can't yeah. say he's a cup winning general manager when he was not in charge of that team that's a yeah. very clear no that's factually not true what you're saying but you're trying yeah. to make it sound better than it is this yeah. is the kind of stuff this is and this whole thing again no i can't think of an nhl team that's done this before that's pulled this stuff like i mean no aquilini did say the fake fake the media thing basically gave the yeah, media the fake media but, thing seems like nothing compared to releasing a pr statement basically like we're gonna sue someone for false allegations like and I'm also like not through, actually like, and not actually like um debating the the yeah, uh any, problem, validity with any of the like, art not actually arguing against any of the articles validity they're just literally yeah. being because they know they can't yeah. And then there's the even like the whole thing of like uh apparently he the owner insists on everyone calling him Mr. Marulo and oh, being God, like very yeah. formal with him. Oh, and there is and it's so whoever wrote this, I don't think it was him, but whoever wrote this clearly uh maybe was trying to prove that was correct because yeah. they use Mr. Mr. Marulo as many times as they yeah, can. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. And like oh. I'm just thinking of like like historically like there was like how many times did Gillis go on like radio with 1040 or team 1040 and like shit talk the guys on air and hash out his issues with them there or like publicly, it was never like Aquilini, like having this weird PR thing, like at the GM's discretion to basically say, we're going to sue you for slander and making fun of me. It's just like most other regimes and ownership groups like usually take it on the chin and are pretty vocal publicly about like their irritation or they hash it out with like the guys directly. They don't threaten to sue the freaking paper company or athletic for releasing shit that's easily accessible by just interviewing people. Yeah. And realistically, if they had just answered her questions they may have been able to smooth it out within the piece itself, but instead, yeah. because they said they didn't, 
they decline to comment, it makes them look even worse and even stupider, which, you know, just... Well done. Bravo. Bravo, yeah. Marulo. Look. Maybe stick to pizza. Maybe get your son to go on YouTube and Google like how oh, to yeah, there a was, hockey franchise. Like that was the, that was that whole thing. Yeah, his, uh, yeah, the whole that yeah, was a that was big really fan of nepotism here on the Creasecast <sighs> channel. Uh, oh yeah, basically oh, yeah. getting paid probably a six figure salary to sit on YouTube to the point where everyone in That's the organization paid, yeah. knows him knows him as a YouTube guy is Oof. so funny, so oh, embarrassing. Uh, big fan. Look, I have to I have to ask this question. Because I feel like I ask it every single year, with this, with this, with this team. Why are the Coyotes still here? Why do they exist? Like no I idea. don't, I do not understand wh- how this team is still in existence. And I get that this is a different ownership group than before, and that's kind of telling the fact that the employees are complaining now. Like they went through literally, I said it on Twitter today. They went bankrupt, and the team, this team, declared bankruptcy. Yeah, in literally bankrupt. And yeah, in two thousand and nine, and were owned by the NHL for a bit because they could not find an owner for about five years. Yeah, and then even after that, they switched ownership groups multiple times over that course. These lots of these employees have been there through most of that, from what it sounded like. They've sat yeah. through terrible teams. A bunch of a deck chair, a rotating just deck chairs on the Titanic of, of of management and ownership groups, and it took this owner about a year like and a, a half year to and just a half. break their to break every one of their spirits. And it took that short a time, and we're sitting here celebrating the twenty fifth anniversary of the Coyotes, and yeah. and frankly, they shouldn't be here. They should not so, be here at this point. I have zero patience for this team for a lot of reasons. This just takes the cake. Why are they still here? Why are they not they, in Houston or Quebec City by now? This yeah, is, I'm tired of this. Here's my analogy before we transition to our next section. Um, the Arizona Coyotes, and by extension the Phoenix Coyotes, are the league's Jake Vertanen. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're the league's Alex Galchenyuk. I guess so, but that would imply them moving around a lot, which hasn't really happened at least I, yet. I mean, Maybe ownership arenas. groups keep saying ownership groups keep saying, "Oh, we think we can turn them around." Yes. selling them. Oh, we can turn them around. Sells them. We can That's turn true. it around. I'm looking at it from like like Bettman's perspective, where he he's just like dead dead set that uh, hockey in the desert is going to work no matter what we try. I mean, and when they I, finally think they've like made a progressive change with like a Cuban owner, it turns out to be the biggest disaster <laughs> rather than just letting them move to a smaller market. Yeah. You know, you know, Houston's kind of warm. You can go there. That's a, that's pretty, that's kind of desert. Like you could go to Houston instead. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I, and you know what? Like I honestly have Arizona, like near the top of my uh, places. I want to go see a game at some point in the future because I'm damn sure they're going to be gone by the time <laughs> in the neck within the next decade. Yeah. I'm it's just like, a, like sure one of those it. things you got to do before it's like seven things you see before you before you die before, before they gone. die before the before coyotes die. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the franchise dies. Like I need one of those Kachina jerseys, preferably yeah. that purple one with the desert which is fantastic and the only good thing the coyotes have in The only thing they got going on for I they're going to be that and should, uh butter pig. Uh, uh, what's his name? Lawson Krause's dog. 
Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. They they don't have a I'll say this, they don't have an exciting team going for them. That team is boring as hell. I know. There's Oh, there are so many I Let's oh, um it's, it's let's not let's get, get too, away from this. Let's not get caught up on the Coyotes cuz we'll just we'll bore our audience. We'll fall to asleep. Death. Yeah. Uh but speaking of former Coyotes, uh little trade trade action we uh, saw in the last couple of days. Uh yes. Ryan Dzingle gets traded back to Ottawa from Carolina for Galchenyak and Cedric Paquette, who they also just acquired. Um, and then Galchenyak was immediately waived by Carolina and then traded to Toronto, which is, yeah. I guess, a trade. It's well, some, it's some action. I, it's, I don't really know what Toronto gets out of this, but it's they, something. Oh, he still makes a million dollars. Yeah, that's an interesting pick for yeah. them. I don't know. I mean, depth. Okay, depth. Forward depth, we've already talked about it, is helpful, and the Leafs yeah. are kind of in the injury, hitting the injury bug right now, so maybe yeah. it helps, and you can throw him on waivers later and just see if somebody claims him. You never know, or you just send him down to the Mar- to the taxi squad or the Marlies. Why not? Yeah. Um, there is this whole thing with Gouch. Um, like I've seen a lot of people in the like, especially recently, talk about how oh, like what a like bust, and it just shows you that draft like can get you anywhere. But the thing is. He had 51 points for the Canadians in his last year. He wasn't a slouch. Like, he wasn't no. a complete non-factor. It's so weird. And even in his, his in, even in Arizona, he had 41 points. Yeah. Like, he was, it's... He was fine. He, <laughs> it, he's, like, it's so weird how this guy has gone to just being shuffled around by so through so many teams and people kind of labeling him as this like complete bust and whatever when in actuality like for a good amount of time he was an incredibly helpful player i don't see i i see why teams would maybe be willing to take the flyer and see what happens more or less right i think like even like at the end of the day too if you look at that 20 12 draft or 20 yeah i think 2012 draft like oh that's interesting he's still like the number one points guy from that from that year really i'm pretty sure he is uh it's not nail yakubov i can tell you that he is second he's second holy yeah philip forsberg is number two is number one yeah like Uh, so it's like people say like you know he's like a huge bust and whatever and it's like if you really look at that draft like the first round was horrendous like genuinely horrendous uh, when it comes to like churning out like quality talent out of the top 10. I mean, Yakupov w- went first overall. That was a pretty prime example. I think even number two, I think the consensus number two of that draft was Ryan Murray who went to the Jackets. I, it was not a good year outside of like a few guys like, you know, like Forsberg, like Her- like Tomas Hurdle, uh, Tavo Tarabainen, it took him a while to get going. Uh, Morgan Riley, Tanner Pearson, also up there. Yeah, but um, like, but like specifically, yeah, like out of time. out of the top ten, like which is where, you know, yeah. most people are like, oh, like he's a he's a bust Bonifying. or whatever from where he was taken. It's like, yeah, but if you look at that entire draft, like some of the best players were taken, like outside of like the top twenty. Yeah, like so, lots, lots like uh, the goaltenders, like he had like Anderson, Hellebuck. Uh, I think think Vasilevsky was 19. Yeah. So, I mean, like, relatively speaking, like, yeah, he looks like a bust compared to some of those guys, but he still has, like, some of the most games played and, like, the most points. So it's like... Yeah. This was the Brandon Brandon Gauntz draft for the Canucks for a little bit of uh, time. Uh, Yeah. So it's... 
you can't really That's fault him too much. Like he he was fine, like relative to like most of the players picked in the twenty twelve draft in general. But out of as a top three pick, yeah, yeah, you'd want more. But he did have that one thirty goal season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he had that one thirty goal year. That was pretty now, good. Now right? have you? Yeah. Now have you seen uh, Galch's? Uh, have you seen? You haven't looked at. Have you looked at Galch's uh, points? You're looking at Galch's points, aren't you? Like mm-hmm. you have his list up here. Yeah. Dang. Dang. Okay. I was gonna have a game ready to go for you, but oh well. Sorry, we'll do dude. that another time. I had a game planned. It was called "Where in the World Is Alex Galchenyuk?" and you were gonna. Have to- <laughs> And you're gonna have to figure out which teams he played for. I might Fuck. actually retool this for another day. Like you should, for a because player. I would have completely forgot he was on the Minnesota Wild. I would have oh, completely yeah. forgot. Like, oh yeah, I've, I, I, I didn't have, and frankly, like I didn't have enough time to put it together exactly how I wanted. But I'll say this for maybe like next episode or like next yeah. week. So I'll for Creasecast fans, you can get maybe why don't we'll put oh, out maybe a that's thing. A- Maybe that's we'll like, be a like hey, yeah. Crease Cast fans, send in all your obscure players that have played for a lot of teams, and we'll play uh, who can guess most of them correct, and we'll go yeah. from there. <laughs> yes. But yes. outside of that trade, we only had one other question in the uh, text message inbox at TS, I mean, uh, Crease Cast 1040. Um, what do you Crease think the chances 1040. are of Carson Folk and Will Lockwood turning into NHLers? Um, I don't watch AHL hockey, so I'm going to let Lockwood know that. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know what? Maybe I will handle this in the in the in the set in the sense of this is the comments section of the show, more or less. So let's give let's let's flip this script around a little bit. And why don't I ask you some? Why don't I ask you the tough questions today? Oh, today, you Cody, because you know what? Like this is your this is literally your beat. The comments are doing are doing things. They're finally back and playing. Comments doing things. The space and, rocks. Yeah, and it's and it's such a weird year because they have the they have the fact that they're it's a mixture of comets of Canucks prospects and Blues prospects. It's the Saint Coover Blue Saint Coover Blue News. It's yeah. uh, they're a weird one and uh, particular to this person. So Sullivan J Larson, thank you for submitting your question. We yes. appreciate the support. We appreciate the questions more than anything. Um, for these two players in particular. I've actually been pleasantly surprised with one of them and kind of disappointed in the other one. So I have have my ideas on who you're on, how this is going to go. I'm not too sure if you'll be surprised or not, but a lot of my expectations were set in preseason. Actually, Um, Will Lockwood had a really good camp to the point of having me and not just me, but several others convinced that he could be a taxi squad player. Um, Unfortunately, that hasn't really translated to the AHL quite yet. He um, hasn't scored any points yet. He's, you know, got pretty decent ice time in like the middle six. So not not necessarily top line because no one's no one's bumping Berchi, uh, Coland or Sam Annis off of that top line. So he's a middle six guy and he's doing all right. His shot attempt control measures are pretty solid for like a kid like Cole Lind and Gadjevich in their debut years, their shot control metrics were absolutely horrific. And even last year they were pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, Cole Lind was the best. So here's perspective. Cole Lind had the best shot control measures last season. And his Corsi four relative was like zero, like plus 0.4% or something like that. 
So that's how bad they were at controlling shot attempts. Uh, This year's a bit different. They're actually doing way better in terms of actually controlling shot measures. Um, And Lockwood has a ton of physical attributes that make him like a good player. He's constantly moving his feet. He isn't afraid to battle along the boards or forecheck effectively. The problem is the actual offensive side of the game where he is required to create passing lanes or create uh, high danger shooting chances or scoring chances. He really hasn't figured that side out. And that kind of makes it disappointing because I thought with the way his preseason went that maybe he could translate that into a very successful rookie debut. It's still early. It's only been three games. So maybe, you know, things start picking up once he kind of gets a feel for, you know, his line mates and all that. But for right now, for my money's worth, I don't think he's really impressed enough. It's still early, but we'll see. But Folked, on the other hand, has been like, like pretty fun to watch to the because I had such little expectations of this fifth rounder from who was like a two year overager. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. And for my money's worth, he's been like one of the best parts about watching this season so far because he's got great skates. He's constantly moving his feet. He plays exactly like Will Lockwood, but he's a bit younger and he's actually found ways to score and produce high danger offense, uh, which I would have expected for the, from the older Will Lockwood, who's, you know, got his years of NCAA experience, but here's folk. He's got his first goal and it was basically from all the attributes that you need to score effectively at the AHL level, which is, you know, being tenacious, being hard on your forecheck, hard on pucks, you know, stealing pucks away. And yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed. Whether either of these two turn into NHLers is, you know, it's way too early to tell. It's always hard to tell with uh, development curves too. Like look at Justin Bailey, like he's 24, 25, and it took him in a one-off game uh, against the Leafs to have people convinced that he was going to outplay J- uh, Jake Vertanen. You never know, right? It might take that that final year where you hit 25 years old and you get on a two-way deal and you finally kind of figure it out and become useful. Zach McEwen, he was 22 when he entered the AHL for his first year and was okay, and now he's basically got like a, a litany of fans in the Canucks Twitter who are desperate to see him in the lineup on a night to night basis. So fortunately these two guys are very young. They've still got tons of time and they can still milk them for cheap deals for as long as possible. Will either be an NHLers? I don't know. I think Lockwood might, if he can string together some offensive side folks is very interesting to me. If he can keep producing at this rate and continue like all the other little things that he does, I would expect him to maybe, maybe start getting looks next year or the year following at the end of his ELC. I've been very impressed so far. Yeah. I, and you know, what's interesting is I, again, I don't have much connection to the comments because uh, just because obviously I haven't been uh, spending time on that, on that mm-hmm. beat when I was doing AHL stuff or, but I'll, I'll just say this, la, uh, that I, when I was doing Giants coverage last year, I actually talked to Carson Folk, uh oh, and yeah? Jet Wu and Jet Wu uh, when they came to play the Giants at the Langley events or actually the last game mm-hmm. uh, I went to before, uh, before COVID really hit. Oh, hell uh, yeah. It was the last game before everything shut down. So I actually like interviewed them and chat and talked to them. If I had had the time before, if I had, if I had had the time before the show to prep, I would have gotten my interview my uh, my uh, my interview uh, uh, typed up uh, and quoted and everything. Like I would have 
pulled up the interview file. Yeah. But um, yeah, I talked to him. I talked to him. I saw him play last year. He's very, he's tenacious. He's really on top of the puck. He was, he's, yeah, he was a little, he was obviously had the overager thing, but he really, I, from what I remember seeing him play with at the Giants level anyway, at the WHL level with the Hitmen, yeah. was, uh, yeah, he played, is he had a very physical presence. He had a strong physical presence. He was willing to get in the corners. He really good at setting up and distributing the puck. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a couple assists on the, I believe, on the power play that night with uh, playing with uh, Jet Wu. They actually were actually really connecting, which was really funny to see just because it was like, oh, we know both these guys are going to the same yeah. place. Um, and yeah, he played well. And he, he, although he did, I will say he did get end up getting, a, I think, thrown out of that game early because of a, a line brawl sort of Hell thing. Yeah. And, and Wu both got kicked out of the game. So I didn't get Good. a chance that's to talk I, to them that's after. What like to see. Uh, but yeah, they were both like nice guys, really. T- uh, uh, Car- Carson was really, uh, from what, from what I remember, Carson really felt like he had a, a, he felt, he really had that strong feeling of, I could push for something as soon as this season. And that, again, that was before ever the, <laughs> before world, the world went world nuts. Yeah. So I don't know if you asked him now, I'm sure sh- if I, if I went and tried to get in touch with him now, I'm sure he might have a little bit of a different He'd have a different he'd have a different point of view, but that confidence of he could maybe he wasn't going to necessarily make the roster, but the idea mm-hmm. that he could push and make it interesting, and he can make make it a harder call that he, and that was a guy, for a guy coming straight out of junior, he had that kind of confidence to him. Yeah. Um, and I don't and yeah, I could I could very much see him punching above his weight in Utica. And yeah. finding a way to maybe get a chance to uh, a good look with the team next uh, next season, like you like you predicted. Um, from the Comets standpoint, they're what uh, they're two ga- they're just two are they just two games into three. the season right now? Three three, three. games with back to back starting tomorrow night. Okay, I have their because I have their schedule just set up uh, where yeah. it only has two games two games listed. Um, <laughs> Because there were two games against the they played two against the the Americans. They played once again once against Syracuse. Um, I had two questions for you, basically. Cool. I had two questions for you. Number one being, obviously, this is a weird this is a weird season for a bunch of for a litany of reasons. But obviously, yeah. the Blues and Canucks sharing a team is a di- is uh, the biggest one for this particular group. Mm-hmm. As far as how as far as the way this team is approaching the season, the way they're approaching the roster and the lineup. How how different is the is the actual approach game to game from this season? Is Trent Cole and his staff's approach to this season come differ from last year's? Well, it's actually I have to give them kudos because I think a big a lot of my complaints in seasons prior was that this coach and its coaching staff were way too untrustworthy of their youth, and to the point where you'll see me a lot in on Twitter basically being like. You know, the Comets have historically not developed a lot of players. Um, Counting, like, barring uh, Zach McEwen or, you know, I guess, yeah, Zach's really it. Barring him and Chatfield. Sorry, sorry. Barring Zach McEwen and Jalen Chatfield, who's barely played that many games this season, they've developed one player in their entirety of their existence to become full-time NHLers, and that's Thatcher Demko. Uh, cause Jacob Markstrom had several years with Springfield. He had tons of experience with Florida as well. Like he didn't come in with necessarily into Utica as like this green prospect straight out of junior leagues of Sweden. He was already a pretty refined prospect who just needed 
some of his edges kind of worked on. Um, so one player, and it's a goalie who obviously, as you know, Lachlan, goalies have very different training methods and development curves than skaters do. Uh, so the fact that in seven years, it's been Zach McEwen, who at best is a fringe bottom, you know, fo- bottom six forward, not really good for this management team. And part of that is because I don't feel they've ever put their kids or their youth in positions that the team really needs them to be put into to see what they can do at the NHL level. Uh, Zach McEwen barely got penalty killing time in his sophomore debut or sophomore year, and he was pretty bad at it. And fortunately, he was so good at evens at 5v5 that it kind of made it okay that he didn't really have much of a presence out of PK role. And when he did, it wasn't that impressive. And I always said, you know, why aren't you playing Lucas Yashik or Cole Lind or Jonah Gadjevich in penalty killing roles? These are the kinds of roles you need out of your youth so that when they get called up, they can play in these niche roles that you can't always fill with the Jay Beagles or the Brandon Sutters of the world. You need kids on cheap deals doing these kinds of activities so you don't have to overspend in free agency on it. And then this year, it's basically all of the complaints I've ever had have just completely disappeared. (laughs) Finally, we're seeing a penalty killing shift that is Carson Folked, Will Lockwood, Tyler Tucker, who is a St. St. Louis Blues rookie making his AHL debut, and Steven Santini. So out of the four penalty killers in your premier shift, you've got three brand new rookies debuting in pro pro years and a guy who's like 27 and has like a litany of experience. We said litany a few times this podcast. I'm appreciating yes, we have. Um, so that's what I've always wanted to see was the youth trusted in these closeout situations, these penalty killing situations. And we've seen it a ton so far uh to start the season it's still three it's only three games in i don't think we've ever seen uh gadjevich penalty killing and at this point in his career i don't think we ever will i think he's pretty much set in that bottom six as a guy who can't really do much or offer much except outside of a specialist power play two role that's a bummer for him i wish his skating would come around and we could get more out of him but it's uh quite evident that the coach this year is willing to at least try his youth in these situations. And for my money's worth, that is great because I think players like Will Lockwood, Carson Folk, Cole Lynn, Lucas Yashik, the only way they're going to get a sniff of NHL time is if they can penalty kill effectively or prove they at least have the utility of playing in these niche roles. So from that sense, I have to give props to the coaching staff for actually making adjustments in a year where they're pretty much forced into doing it, but kudos nonetheless, because in historically speaking, they were really bad at it. Right. It it takes, it takes a lot to, it, it, we've already talked about it today, how coaches sometimes get very stuck in their way and it's good to it, but when they adapt, that's when they're at their strongest and are able to properly adapt 
to yeah. the circumstances, and that's kind of the exactly. way the NH- the AHL has been dealing with this season. I should clarify, I said mm-hmm. that they played Rochester twice. That was wrong. They played Rochester, Syracuse, and Bing- Binghamton. I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, but the listeners might yeah. look and think I'm an idiot, So, which is true. We can't but have I want, that happen. But, but yeah, it, it's it's true, but I just want to make sure that I they know I'm just that's a fair. little bit less of an idiot. But okay. they are playing basically a lot of games against, uh, a huge amount of games against Rochester and Syracuse this season with a handful against Binghamton and uh, Providence in Providence, mm-hmm. but they're still in the same in in a North Division with uh, as with a couple other teams, Lay Lay Valley, Hershey, and Wilkes-Barre Scranton are also in there, but they're not going to play. Technically, them. yeah, but they don't ever play them. It's like yeah, they do three opponents only, and it's it's pretty much like the same guys just cycling in and out. So there, it's going right. to be it's going to be kind of like this Calgary series, whereas we've seen it go along with the Canucks. Like it's been pretty intense as things have ramped up and things get uh, closer. I think in their first exhibition game against Syracuse, they had a fight, which is like really funny because it's like it's exhibition in a season that doesn't even have a Calder cup scheduled for the end of it. So you're just like getting heated. Oh. Like absolutely nothing. So, Oh, so they don't it's have a, funny. they do not have a play. No plans for playoffs right now. As it stands, they don't have anything planned. It's just okay. like the, the, the presidents and the owners of like these clubs were basically like, we are fine with, at the very least giving some kind of product on AHL TV or their local radio or TV deals so that they can still guarantee fans renewing their season tickets and having the promise of a product at least coming back for next year. Yeah. And also, so the team, the NHL teams get to see their products play some. Yes, they have prospects hockey. at least with so the I guess, ability to play somewhere. So that actually changes my last question a little bit. And I guess in a more interesting way here now, but, um, I guess the question now being with if that's the way the season's going to go, there's no playoffs. There is no this the reg, the reg, if this is the regular season is it and that's everything. <laughs> what to you constitutes a successful season for this Comets team? I think if you can get if the Comets team can maybe win, I mean the wins don't really matter to be honest. Like if there's no Calder Cup being played for, it's like whatever, it's at least it's just like the experience that they're playing, you know, a lot of short, shorthanded time, uh, a lot of shutdown minutes, like in close games, like whatever, like not a lot of blowouts, but like, you know, putting these guys in situations where, you know, Carson folk is out on the ice in the last 30 seconds of a game when it's, you know, two one for them and they're trying to prevent, you know, an offensive zone or a defensive zone face off from going badly. Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see them in these situations where, you know, they're really in high danger and, you know, situations that a Travis green would be reluctant to play a kid in, but at least he has a kid available. Should they call him up? Uh, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Sheldon Keefe of the Marlies at the time who had a great quote where he spoke with Pierre Engvall and he was said, uh, if, Kyle Dubas calls me tomorrow um, and says he needs a center to play tomorrow night. Are you going to say no? And um, Pierre Engvall said, well, I'm more comfortable on the left wing. And so Sheldon Keefe replied to him and said, so what you're telling me is I should tell Kyle Dubas that I don't have, or Pierre Engvall isn't ready or able to play other anything other than center. And Pierre Engvall was like, oh, okay. Cause that's, yeah. <laughs> that was like basically the way of just saying you need to show that you have utility to your organization. 
even if it's a place that you're not comfortable with, you need to be able to prove to your organization that you can do stuff more than just what your niche is. And this season, if at the end of the year, Will Lockwood and Carson Folkt and Cole Lind are hovering at, you know, 0.7 points per game, great. But if they're also doing that while managing, you know, five minutes of power or uh, uh, shorthanded time a night, that's so much better than the points could ever do because it's proving to not only Trent Cull, but to Travis Green and the coaching staffs in the NHL that they've got something more than just like a niche, like Canadian Nikolai Goldobin, but you have Cole Lind who is everything they wanted in Goldobin, but with all the attributes of a Zach McEwen, who's going to bring a lot more to that bottom six along with utility, which they've really struggled to get in the last seven years out of their prospects. So that's what I'm hoping for. That's what Canucks fans should hope for. And so far after three games, I think they're on the right track for accomplishing that. Right. Cause, and especially because, you know, if you go, uh, if you get called up in that util in that to, to play a utility role, even if it's out of your comfort zone, like a, a spot that's out of your comfort zone, yeah. they will, and you play well and you find a permanent spot there eventually they will likely make room for you to play on the niche on the niche part of your game that you're most successful at exactly. they, it's all it, it's just like any other job where sometimes you start at you start at the bottom in the working the entry level job because that's what's available it's the le- yeah. it's the lowest paying it's not it's not something you ever necessarily want to do for a career but theoretically it could get you up to the spot that you want to be in that spot in that business that you want to be doing you just need to show up every single day do your absolute best and make a good impression on the people in charge and prove that hey you can be trained on these things that and trusted on these other jobs and these other roles and utilities that you want to be doing and that is very much the case with what these comets should be looking at as their way on to getting onto the canucks going forward Absolutely. Well, I think that about sums up uh, tonight's episode. We were happy to shit on the Arizona Coyotes organization <laughs> and talk about a couple organizations that were kind of kind of doing the right thing. You have the Comets who are doing their best, and you have the Canucks who are trying. Moral their- victories. Yeah, the moral victories of one organization and the literal victories of their smaller organization for the first time in 10 years. So with that in mind... <laughs> Uh, don't forget to follow the YouTube channel guys. Uh, Lachlan's putting a ton of effort into editing these videos, editing, uh, all the times we accidentally have to stop because I get weird tweets in the middle of recording. Or uh, I just lose a quote because or I'm lose that a quote fun. because we forget to look it up or we stutter on our words because we didn't prep enough and spent too much time talking about the Simpsons. You know how these <laughs> things go sometimes. Other than that, you can also rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast streaming service, whether that's a uh, podcast or Google, whatever the hell it's called, Podbean. I don't Google know Play Podcast now. There's Podbean. There's so yeah, many. There's, that, there's so many, there's... but whatever it is, make sure to review, rate us. We appreciate that more than anything. We love the reviews as well. And if you liked what you heard in tonight's episode and you heard some of the ideas we were pitching for future uh, Patreon content, you can check out our Patreon as well. We have dollar tiers and $5 tiers. Lachlan's always churning out content. It's kind of gross how he finds the time to do this while working a nine to five. I don't (laughs) think he's human. I don't have the time for that personally, but I do find a way somehow for all these podcasts and I love it. 
we love talking to you guys. We love talking hockey. We love talking comments. And for whatever reason, we love talking Arizona Coyotes and Jake for Tannen. So, you know, we're not well in the head. So those dollars <laughs> and $5 you guys are towards us, those go towards, you know, just everything we need to keep our mental stability upright in the trying <laughs> COVID 2020 times. So as always, Lachlan Irvine, where can they find you? You can find me at Lock in the Crease on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as at, on my blog, lockinthecrease.com, where I put out the North Division Power Rankings every single Sunday. And oh. uh, yeah, I am trying to churn out as much content as I possibly can. I am still I am still behind on my personal goals of how much I'd like to be putting out there, but we're gonna <laughs> we're working on that. We're working on that uh, with a, in exchange for a lack of sleep. Yeah. Cody, where can they find you? Uh, the fine folks listening to the Grease Cast can find me at Cody Siebertson on Twitter or on CometsHarvest.com, where I've been churning out game recaps for the Utica Comets. Um, think tomorrow I will be reviewing who is it? Syracuse, uh, the rematch. Uh, that's the team they fought during the exhibition game. It should be fun because they had a really spirited event in their first game. And then Thursday, it'll be a rematch with Rochester, another spirited match. Uh, so this should be good. Um, anyways, uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, thanks for following and thanks for listening. Recommend us to all your parents and all your friends. We appreciate the support. As always, folks, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.